Welcome to the Fear of God podcast. Here at the Fear of God, we find the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me, as you all know, is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. But you know, Reed was here a minute ago, then he muttered something that sounded like winged bat plagues Gotham, soon to be followed by Wait till they get a load of me. Sadly, for all of us, we will never quite know the meaning of that loaded statement because I imagine plaguing Gotham most certainly takes more than an hour and that's about all we got for this episode. But fret not, foggers. It won't just be me flapping my gums solo because we have a very special B-side today. Today's episode is one more thing I have to thank artist extraordinaire Jacob Hunt for. In addition to his fantastic Fear of God art, art he's provided for us. Um, Jacob, uh, if, as you may know, was featured on our Joker episode just a few weeks ago. That episode launched our Best of 2019 series and our podcasting year for 2020. Now, as far as Joker goes, for all the hot takes surrounding it, that film remains an enigmatic and compelling one. Trojan horsing an examination of mental health under the clown makeup of a comic book film. One that, by the way, happened to go on to gross over $1 billion worldwide, that's billion with a B, and earn Joaquin Phoenix a Best Actor Oscar and the film itself multiple other nominations and awards beyond just the Oscars. So what is today about? Well, the day after our Joker episode released, Jacob sent me a link to a Washington Post article about the film with the title, As the Child of Someone with Paranoid Psychosis, Joker Resonated with Me. Yes, loaded title, and immediately I was intrigued. I proceeded to read the article and subsequently be totally taken in with it, uh, as well as by the writer's transparency and vulnerability. All I could think while reading it was, This is exactly what we try to do here on the show. Find the holy in the horrific. Dissect what scares us to find what saves us. So I looked up the author, whose name is Robin Barr, and in the crazy, connected world in which we live these days, thought I'd reach out to her and thank her for her writing. And then thought, well, why not? I'll ask her if she'd like to be interviewed for the pod, and well, here we are. So I want to go ahead and stop prattling for a moment and say... Robin Barr, welcome to the fear of God. Thank you for being here and willing to take a chance and on this weirdo little show we do. Well, thank you for having me. You are so very welcome. Thank you for being willing to carve out some time uh, to to be on the show. So, Robin, so our, you know, I've done a little bit of reading of yours, and but this is all kind of very new to our listeners. Um, so, do me a favor so that they can get to know you a little bit. If you don't mind, fill us in a little bit on yourself, maybe you know where you're based um, and how you find yourself 
writing about Joker for the Washington Post. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you for having me again. Um, so I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, have not lived here all my life. I'm actually from New York. Um, and I just found myself uh, in this crazy little town up in Massachusetts. Um, I have been writing um, more full-time in the past four years. Um, I, I call myself a film and television critic. I mostly write about TV. Um, that's a, more my medium of choice, although I'm a, I'm a big film person as well. Um, and I, I do have a full-time job. Um, so this is like my, my fun gig, so to speak. Sure. It's a big part of my identity. M well, many of us have full-time jobs, yes, right? We like yes. benefits. <laughs> so I, uh, I've been doing this for more, more regularly, um, for about four years, but I've been writing about film, um, as long as I, I can remember, um, in general, you know, my first piece of film criticism, I was looking it up today was from 2004 in my high school newspaper. And I wrote a very scathing review of Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh, wow. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was pretty hilarious actually. So I've been doing this for quite a bit and I, the idea for the Joker article almost came up as like a joke because I was thinking of, um, titles of articles I didn't think I could ever write. So this was a particularly interesting year for film for me. Um, I, I loved the movie Uncut Gems. I highly recommend it. Um, it has a certain flavor to it. I think, I think, I don't know if you've seen it. Not um, yet. It's it, on the list. Yeah, it's, it's really fabulous. And the film um, reminds me quite a bit of my father for many different reasons. Huh. And if you've seen it, you might think, oh, that's a little bit weird. But I Did he get I, overlooked by the Oscars as well? Well, yeah. I'm very, <laughs> very sad that Adam Sandler did not get an Oscar yes, nomination. Um, he really, he truly should have won, in wow. my opinion. I mean, I think, I think that uh, Joaquin Phoenix was wonderful in this movie. Sure. Um, probably my second favorite performance of the year but i i did love um adam sandler in this so i was and and of course you know joker as we'll talk about um reminded me quite a bit of, of my mother um so i was kind of writing out these like funny headlines like why uncut gems reminds me of my dad like you know very like clickbaity sure sure article ideas and i was writing them out um in my just like a, a blogging community i belong to and a friend of mine was like why can't you write it like i would love to read this piece and i was like all right i don't know i'll guess I'll throw it out there. So, you know, I, I pitched it out, it was accepted, and here we are um, several weeks later. And yeah, I, I was actually very nervous putting this article out for many different reasons. Yeah. I've actually gotten a pretty nice response. So do it, now I've, <laughs> I've read uh, probably about four or five of your pieces and, and I'll let oh, you, wow. I'll let you plug your website and where people can find you here in a minute. But do you tend to go this kind of vulnerable with the stuff you write? Oh, opposite. Yeah. Um, I, I usually do straight criticism. Sure. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'll throw in like a funny anecdote here and there just so that the reader understands where I'm coming from. Like I wrote a piece um, about last or about a year ago on why I love Lifetime um, and why okay. the network was super important to me um, as a kid growing up in a household where um, – it was maybe a little more conservative or something. Sure. So Lifetime gave me a lot of opportunity to um, in, engage with the in the world of women, so to speak, or what women go through. So, so that was maybe my most personal piece, and this um, definitely was like excavating 
a, a deep dark mine that I yeah very rarely go down. Sure. And we can definitely talk more about that. But you know, I definitely do mostly straight criticism. I write. Um, I mean, my my main uh, publication that I work with is the Hollywood Reporter. Um, I love working with them. Cool. I'm a great editor. And like I said, I write mostly TV. So this was a very different thing for me. Um, it's kind of scary. I'm I'm sure. Well, I, you know, y- you can validate this. When I initially approached you about even chatting about this, I was like, hey, I know it was probably hard to even put yourself out there in the writing. I don't want you to feel <laughs> like you have to do this because, you know, I mean, what this particular piece is, is um uh, very vulnerable and, and we'll get to that. But, but I do to your credit. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I have no clue cause this is mine and yours first time conversing, but in terms of what the general response has been, but you know, one thing I found so compelling about it is a lot of what we try to do here on our show, which is, you know, and now Joker, the film is pretty compelling and so merits some consideration and thoughtfulness, but, you know, what we try to do here is just, okay, even if it's not high art, like what at least Joker purports to be, um, there's still things you can find that will um, resonate and, and that you can pull out. And as a brief little anecdote here, listener, listeners will know, I didn't think a whole lot of the film Phantasm. We actually covered it here on the show from the late 70s. Um, it's pretty wild, just, just bonkers kind of horror flick from, I think, 78 or 79. But... But what was interesting about covering it for the show was the film itself is a lot about death and and dying and fear of that. And it spun into this like really deep conversation. And I was like, I don't even really care for this movie, but I, I'm really impressed, you know. And so to your credit, I think, um, you know, what you kind of were willing to put down in terms of how this film inspired you is really um really courageous uh on your part and so I, I applaud you for that. So how um you know you you referenced Uncut Gem specifically and and adjacent to that of course is the Oscar conversation. I in doing my research um I'll let you plug your website here but I did see that you and I are of like mind surrounding our I think ecstatic response to Parasites winning best picture in addition to everything else. How about that? Oh yeah, I mean, what a wasn't that great? Moment. Probably the best moment since Moonlight. Yeah, <laughs> which was like the moment of all time, in my opinion. Well, uh, no, it was it was fabulous. <laughs> my, uh, uh, I am in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my sister lives here locally, and and always throws mm. a little Oscar party. Well, she doesn't have kids. We have three kids, and getting out mm. on a Sunday night is just hard, right? And oh, so imagine. you know, I, but my wife and I keep blowing off these Oscar parties every year because it gets down to the wire and we're like, oh gosh, we're just too tired. This is hard. Um, well, this year I was like, no, our, our kids are a little old enough now that we could, you know, kind of jaunt out for the evening. But even going, and I listen, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast, The Big Picture. It's part of the Ringer Network. I listened to that a good bit. and No, I haven't. Um, you'd, you'd enjoy it. But they, you know, they follow the latter part of the year's awards programs. In other words, like uh, the BAFTAs and, you know, P- yeah, PGA yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And, and 1917 just kept winning. And, and I've seen 1917 and it's a solid film. It's fine. It's great. Um, but going into the Oscars, I was like, man, I really want Parasite to win. And it's not going to happen. It's just not. Mm-hmm. I even told my wife on the oh, way. Yeah, there. Like it I never, told her on yeah. the way there. I was like, you know, I'm just kind of 
prematurely bummed here because we're gonna go and i just need something good in the world to happen and it's not gonna happen it's fine 1975 you know and the nomination was enough <laughs> i know i know well then sure enough and i joked on the fear of god uh parasite episode we did a little uh debrief after the oscars and threw it on the front end of that episode and and i joked i was like man i just need i, I needed a good exaltation like that you know it has been a while oh, since yeah. i felt good enough in my inner self to be like you know I, I don't watch sports i don't care for them really and so i don't have that catharsis that a lot of americans and american men have where you're watching the sports and you're cheering for your team <laughs> i don't get that and so i what i lean on is media and when my, yeah, my movie Oscars wins are my, uh, yes Super Bowl. exactly exactly um before we get to your joker thoughts specifically as represented in your article um i did want to ask you a two-part question that we tend to ask most folks who guest on the show for the first time. And one, so Robin, we clearly here specialize in the horror genre. Um, I'm curious, one, do you have do you have a particular aversion or do you appreciate horror stuff? And, and you can loosely define it as thriller or suspense. And if you kind of lean into that, um, do you have any favorite horror films or, or suspense films that, that you would identify as... Um, you know, favorites that you really enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny, it's funny to think about the horror genre because I wouldn't like, I, I've never really defined myself as like a horror, um, writer or anything like that. And I, I don't tend to write about, um, films in a particularly genre oriented sure. way, but I, yeah, I would say I'm a big horror fan, actually. Not slasher films. Um, I okay. don't like that, but I love body horror movies. Anything with, <laughs> anything with like really good, graphic Whoa. um practical effects sure. bodily transformations you know like the fly like really <laughs> like yes gross stuff that I is love anything that is a like gross that. one yeah um i loved hereditary i loved midsummer yes i loved Her hereditary more than midsummer but um there's so many images from that film that i will like never forget or so many feelings from that film i will never forget I mean, it's very hard to scare me. Um, mm -hmm. So her, the fact that Hereditary like, scared me multiple times, it, it will definitely be up there for me. Um, and I also really enjoy non-traditional non horror movies. Okay. Um, like Sunset Boulevard, to me, is like a classic horror film. Interesting. Um, okay. Or, well, I love Eraserhead. Gotcha. Um, talking about body horror. So, yeah, th things of Lynch, things of Michael, um, Michelle, Michelle Hanukkah, mm -hmm. Michael Hanukkah. Okay. Um, I actually don't know how to pronounce it. Um, you know, like the piano teacher or, or a Das Weiss Bond, like anything that has that like creeping feeling. Sure. Um, I do love, but my, but my visceral favorite is anything that is like disgusting. That's like brain dead or whatever. Hilarious. You, dead alive. Or you, like <laughs> you owe it to yourself when you have a little time and want to listen to a podcast to go listen to our episode on the fly. In addition to, Oh, that's a good one. It's, yeah. it's hysterical listening to me. Cause, um, uh, it's funny. You said you, you wouldn't necessarily um, identify yourself as quote unquote horror fan or, or th that you write about it traditionally. I come into the genre really by way of read. Um, I mm. historically like, you know, thriller type material, but Mm -hmm. doing this show kind of shoved me in the deep end. And that's why it, it isn't the current art, but our previous uh, show art is him as Dr. Frankenstein and me as Frankenstein's nice. monsters monster kind of echoing that, you know, 
creator created idea. But uh, yes, I had seen The Fly long before we covered it for the show. Um, but I'd forgotten just how disgusting it is. So, oh, it's bad. Oh it's man, so it's much. so nasty. Yeah, anything like the grosser, the better, in my opinion. That's um, hilarious. We'll have to have you back on to to you oh, know yeah, uh, with with something of your choosing. <laughs> yeah, that'd be actually a lot of fun. You get to pick what it is if we haven't yeah. covered it. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate. Yeah, that. that'd be a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, it's funny because like women, I feel like women are kind of outside of talking about horror in in some ways uh-huh. when actually traditionally women were among the first uh, group of people that embraced horror. If you go back to like Gothic novels or anything like that, you know, Mary Shelley, whatever, like we, we love that stuff. Um, But I think for some reason, the conversation goes around it a little bit. Like I can't tell you how many little girls I know that just love to be disgusted and love to be scared. That's Um, hilarious. Definitely an untapped market. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm trying to uh, definitely not body horror yet, but trying to wean. I've got an 11 and a nine year old, and yeah, they talk about body horror. Yeah, 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 definitely not. Uh, they dabble a little bit, you know, your core lines, your stuff like that. That's a little mm-hmm. skirting that that sort of. I did my nine year old. I did just introduce to the Twilight Zone as kind of a fun, you know, ramp into that world. Um. Well, cool. Awesome. So Robin is about the body whore. Good to know. We'll log that away. So also another question, knowing your specific vocation uh, keeps your finger on the pulse of the TV and film world unrelated to horror. And you've referenced Uncut Gems already. So that one's that one doesn't oh. doesn't qualify. Is there something you've seen recently that either really struck a nerve positively or negatively or something you just loved that you'd recommend us check out? We, we Uncut Gems we receive. What else? What else you got? Um, there are two things I've been going around talking about. Uh, number one is Harley Quinn, not the movie, but the TV show, um, the DC film. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm not a comic book person, but I think Harley Quinn is like a very, very funny TV show. It's a cartoon Uh about a woman who breaks up from her boyfriend and starts her own business, except her business is becoming a super villain. Nice. Um, it's just, it's a very funny show and it's also a very good show about, uh, divesting yourself from an abusive relationship. Uh-huh. And I actually think the, the show does it very well um, while also being very, very, very funny. And the other thing that I've loved lately is kind of horror uh, adjacent, which is Chernobyl. Okay. I don't know if yeah. you've seen it, but oh my God, it is fantastic. It is like, I don't know how they did this in five episodes, but it's a historical drama, right. a political thriller, a sci-fi mystery and like a disaster flick all in one five episode group of um episodes yeah it's, it's amazing it's it's a mini series right obviously, right but, yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely was on a lot of uh lists and i am intrigued i did watch the first one and it's pretty it's kind of slow and uh routine listeners to our show know that I'm in an, a stage of life where I fall asleep rather easily mm, in pieces of yeah. media. And so I think I'll just have to take Chernobyl in drips and drabs. But um, I, I do know it is uh, well-respected. Now, let me ask you, is what is Harley Quinn on? Because I didn't even know the cartoon existed. I did see the film this past weekend, but I didn't even know the show, the cartoon existed. What is that on? It's on DC Universe. Which oh, is kind okay. Of like one of yeah, the there are hidden... subscription services. I know, it's so sad because it really should be on like Cartoon Network or, right. or one of the more abrasive um, 
right, networks right. or something. But it, yeah, it it is very good if you if you are able to come across it. It's it's very funny. Well, apparently, I I didn't stay through the end credits of the film, but um, there's there's no scene. Just spoiler alert, everybody. There's no scene at the end of Harley Quinn credits, but there is an audio sort of note that uh, Margot Robbie does that um, apparently ties into the cartoon. And so just so you know, if you end up going to see Harley Quinn, know that, or the birds of prey, the film, um, at the very end of it, there's a, there's a tag on to the cartoon. Um, very cool. Well, thank you for those offerings there. So Harley Quinn, Chernobyl, uncut gems, definitely things to add to the list. Um, all right. Do you feel like talking about Joker? Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I, I, I promise it's not because you're a guest that I'm just puffing you up here for what I think is the real value of the piece you wrote. Please puff. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, I can't articulate enough that when I read it, I was like, wow, this is just really what we are after in audio format, at least. Um, you know, this idea of kind of personal excavation in response to whether it's pop culture or art, whatever, however we want to mix all those things together. And for me, I've, uh, especially just in the last, real deliberately since we started this show, but even more with intentionality in the last, I don't know, six months to a year, I've more consciously been attempting lately to, whatever the takeaway from a given film we cover is, is to try to kind of self-apply ideas that I'm, Mm -hmm. versus what can happen uh, which is you get kind of lost in sort of vague generalities or just kind of stop at clinical assessment. Yeah. Um, you know, like, oh, the movie is good and it, and here's why, or the movie's bad and here's why, and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. running with randomness. And, and so I've really tried to do that. And so I think that's one thing that really was a strength of your piece. It, it's funny, it made me think of um, uh, the film Take Shelter. Are you familiar with Take Shelter? I'm familiar with it, but I haven't seen it. Um, I don't know that you'll have the same type of response I will, but, um, or I did, but I I love it. It is an easy kind of top 10, if not top five of all time for me. Uh, Jeff Nichols stuff is always compelling, but that one specifically, um, and it made me your article specifically and, and how you responded, um, though the scenarios are dramatically different it's the depth of response that made me think of this. So when I went to see take shelter, when it was in theaters in like, gosh, I don't know, 2011 or something like that. It was one of the first times that during the film, I almost walked out. And now to be fair, (laughs) I've walked out of a film here and there before, but not for, not for these particular reasons. It's mainly because I was just like, Oh yeah, I'm not going to watch this. Um, uh, <laughs> like Airbud. Sure, sure. Something. Yes, we'll we'll go with that one. Um, I'm trying to save my my listeners from my browbeating some some, <laughs> some films that I tend to. Um, but uh, with Take Shelter, so I personally have a just kind of long history, and it's uh, it's infrequent enough to not be like super problematic, but but just frequently enough to be a thing where I have just like really terrible nightmares and the film take like night terrors. Yeah, um, well it's like nightmares, like, like just real mm-hmm. debilitating dream state kind of stuff that you wake up real, real shaken by and a real t- 
tactile way. And the film Take Shelter, I had no idea this was the content of it when I went to see it. Like that is a type of thing that plagues the main character. And it was just really close to home, you know, kind of how it was affecting him um, such that it almost, again, propelled me out of the theater. But thankfully I did not because I do just adore this movie. But so that may seem like a random story, but that's just kind of what your Joker piece made me think of this kind of deep excavation um, that is prompted sometimes by these, these pieces of culture we indulge. So a question for you. Um, as far as Joker goes, did did you anticipate like seeing trailers? Were you surprised by your response? Did you did you know from trailers like, hmm, this may strike a chord, or was it kind of a completely blindsided kind of thing? Um, I I didn't really get much. I I not like the biggest trailer person. I I actually love going to movies and seeing trailers, but sure. for, for films that I really like, I maybe I'll watch the first 30 seconds of a trailer or not really like, but movies I really want to see because I'm just like, you know what? I have a taste of it. And now I'm just going to let the film speak for itself instead of getting too caught up in sure, sure. what I think the movie is going to be. So I don't have any strong memories of seeing the trailer. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I saw it and I said, Oh, this looks good. This looks like shockingly good, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, I didn't have the sense of like, oh, this is going to be particularly troublesome emotionally or anything like that. Um, yeah. Well, it, there are probably other topics that I would be like, oh, wow, like this looks really close to home, but not really that one. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Um, What's well, funny, because I remember and I go into this a little bit on our Joker episode, I remember seeing the trailer and I perhaps like many people kind of woke up a good bit in in fall of 2016 as an American person, as an American man, as an American white man in my case. And and so I'm just, you know, I'm just much more sensitive to kind of things than I would have been historically. And, and I watch a trailer for Joker when it first came out. And I was like, huh, uh, maybe, you know, it just, I was like, I just, mm-hmm. I just don't know. Um, and, you know, for me, I went into the film unsure i'm like i I have no idea what i'm about to get and and did find myself just in a real in that clinical assessment idea i was really taken with the artistry at work um even if i wasn't 100 percent sure how to bucket everything um Mm -hmm. so i want people to read your article of course and like i said we'll we'll send it as widely as our reach uh allows but can you go for as long or as short as you want and just kind of encapsulate a little bit what you kind of offer there um i mean i referenced the title earlier but just kind of dig a little deeper into the content of that um for us real quick yeah sure so part of the reason the article came about is because i have just seen so much uh what i would call like vitriolic discourse surrounding joker i mean you you definitely get into it in the episode but i mean and i talk about this in my article but it's kind of a rorschach test right like everybody goes into it you know, with their own perspective. I mean, obviously everybody goes into everything with their own perspective, but it really, it seems to be one of those films, like if you really want it to be a white male manifesto, you're going to see it that way. And if you really want it to be like a call for revolution, like you'll see it that way. Um, And it entirely does not surprise me that I went into this film thinking or or reading it as a film about mental health um, and the, the social impact of people who are particularly vulnerable in the, in, in our society um, because of their mental illness um, or what have you. And 
there's a couple of reasons why I think that's maybe part of my identity. Um, one, because I was raised by somebody who had a severe like mental illness, mm -hmm. um, which I talk about in my piece and I'll, I'll get into in a second. Um, and the other part of it is that I, uh, my, one of my, one of my jobs, my full-time job is actually working with students who have disabilities, um, and helping them figure out how to navigate the college environment, um, hmm. while they're, while they're, you know, kind of figuring out their own identities related to their disabilities and things of that nature. And some of it is, is, uh, physical or visible disabilities, but most of it, students I work with have invisible disabilities mm -hmm. like mental health needs. It's probably like the biggest population I work with um, or things like learning disabilities. And, you know, the age of 18 to 21 is pretty kind of rough on the brain for many reasons. Like your hormones are still changing and your brain is still pretty plastic. Um, and there's a time in your life where your identities are starting to form in different ways and you're away from home. So there's all these different things that, that kind of coalesce. So I think about trauma and mental illness literally all day. Um, so it's, it's not surprising to me that right. I came into this film being like, this is what it's about. Um, but one of the, so the, so the piece just to describe it, um, is me talking about this, this discourse about Joker and kind of doing my but actually, um, because I think some people don't read it at all the way I do. Um, mm -hmm. The film is about a man who has this unspecified mental disability. We don't really know what it is. I mean, they sort of hint that it could be um, a traumatic brain injury or what have you. But it causes him to like have these involuntary verbal reactions to people that is that other people find like creepy or disconcerting. Um, right. that he has no control over. And. I found like it was, this is actually a very hard film for me to watch, not because it's violent or not because of like the art direction, which I actually really, I, I liked it. I liked the grimy feel of the film, sure. uh, but it was hard for me because it just, I mean, I hate overusing the word triggering because I feel like it's kind of this cultural yeah, I know. buzzword but or something. I'm... But like, actually, if you have a history of trauma, like right, it can right. be triggering to right. watch uh, a film like this and you know it's what my therapist calls like little t trauma like it doesn't have to you don't have to have ptsd or something sure. um to have these these trauma experiences what we in, in psychology i think you call might call it a flashbulb memory where like your emotions huh. get encapsulated into these into these moments that you will like constantly like think back to because they you almost like imprinted on them or something right. so a lot of my experiences i, I write about in this piece are uh, talking about what it was like growing up with a parent with um, a disability that was maybe adjacent to, to Joker's or Arthur Flex, um, and watching the film about a man who is kind of ground, ground and ground into this um, place of desperation and, and violence, and also thinking about my own response to my, my parent while I was growing up and how unfair I was to her. Um, hmm. when I was a kid and how watching Arthur get sort of beaten down by other people and, and his services, um, his like social services get cut and people are constantly mocking him. Um, it really, it, it was painful for me to watch because I, I was a, a hard to raise kid in many ways. Um, and I kind of felt this overwhelming feeling of like, Oh man, I was so unfair to my mom. Like I would, you know, I would 
Um, I would do like impressions of her. Sure, sure. And I would yell at her and scream at her. Oh my God, I was so horrible. I mean, and and, you know, the funny thing is like when I was writing this piece, um, I was reminded that a lot of times when I will, I'll tell people about my my life experience with my my mom, um, although to be fair, I I do talk about my dad a lot more, um, just because it's hard for people to to relate to having a, a parent like mine. So I will often kind of frame it in these like funny stories. And many of them are very funny sure, stories. Sure. Like, man, can you believe this whole thing? Like I had like part of the piece was um, one of the, maybe my original opening paragraphs was actually how I, how I found out my mom passed away. Wow. And I, and I always presented as a very funny story because it was just like this comedy of errors. Um, and then of course you're watching this film it's all about comedy and how we look at ourselves and so you know writing this piece I'm like some of these are just like hard like when you write them on paper they're not that funny sure <laughs> like yeah, you have yeah. to sort of tell them out loud or something right. um well something I, or people don't know how to respond <laughs> sure well something i i'm, I'm going to steal one of your phrases here actually because i'm staring at an excerpt you talk about a coping mechanism and, and what you just described you know this this dissonance that happened between your history of telling the stories with some jokiness to it and then the writing it out and thinking hmm there's there's something heavier there and i just love this uh, sentiment in your piece where you said my coping mechanism was to other her to shrink her power by making her feel the pain i felt when she endangered us um and the film uh, you go on to say, helped me face the guilt that is festered inside me. I just thought that was such a powerful assessment um, that requires a lot of self-awareness. Um, you know, but I think if there's much to be found in terms of value in art and art making, which I think there's a lot, but part of it is to close that gap, right? Between, mm. between our attempts to other people, whether they are a parent or, you know, uh, pick a demographic that's not you, right? And, right. and you know, this is a show that, that intertwines the notion of horror or we can even just say pop culture and, and faith. And a lot of the conversations we have are, are attempts to wrestle with that. And, and something that I have found has been very – it's weird, you know, the things the – things, that uh, form you over a lifetime. Like I know people who are very entrenched in the world of faith and they're the most rigid, dogmatic, ridiculous people, the persona at least. And, and as, as we go about our lives and our days and we envision these conversations with people who aren't like us, right. And there are moments where I'm like, how would I, how would I articulate why I can be so open and not mm-hmm. be so rigid and dogmatic. And a lot of it has to do with cultural engagement and art engagement and art making. I don't know if you know this, but like oh, my yeah. background's in the theater and, and I produce theater and some of that kind of stuff. And so, but you know, you, you keep yourself open to other people and their stories. And I just think that's such a valuable tool that, that, at least in the circles I historically ran in is something people are very closed off to. Um, and, and I guess just as a note on your piece, what I found super helpful about your takeaway 
Um, because, and, and I know you listened to our Joker episode, you can kind of hear me wrestling because uh, I listen, I re-listened to them. I'm, I was wrestling with like, I just, I feel the empathy. I can't, dis- I can't decide how to reconcile it with what I think are some of the struggles that the film has, you know, just the, just the, yeah. the craft of it at work. And, and then, yeah, I do struggle with the things Todd Phillips would say publicly. I was like, come on, man. You know, like, oh, the kindness thing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Which, which, you know, isn't wrong. It's just, he, he would boneheadedly stick his foot in his mouth. I thought a a good bit of time, but what was so helpful about your piece for me as an individual and art consumer was, you know, with media criticism and consumption, I feel like we often need the eyes and experiences of others to help us see what we're not kind of wired to on first pass right like mm-hmm. it was because because your your intersection with the film joker was dramatically different than mine but you kind of unlocked like oh okay yes what i'm kind of feeling is there but don't know how to either articulate or sort of you know cogently wrestle down you were able to sort of put uh even though we hadn't met, but put a face to in terms of like, this is really powerful uh, that, and, and I think what really great art can do for us, which is, you know, not just um, create empathy, but in the creating of that empathy, close that gap between again, a parent or just the other in our, in our world and our midst, that kind of thing. Um. I'm tempted to kind of throw a thought in here, but I'm worried it, it derails us a little bit. But de- purely um, in the analogy of rising back to the surface a tiny bit from the depths here, does it does like you mentioned not being really into comic book stuff, which is which actually may feed a, a good response to this inquiry. I am a, a nerd by history of in this kind of vernacular and 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 the tropes and part of me almost was like i worry that the depth of the film that it's kind of trying to engender uh and the empathy it's trying to create gets a little undercut by kind of the comic bookiness of it maybe maybe that's just me being unfair i don't know but the comic bookiness of like they're trying to connect this directly to yeah like bruce wayne well yeah definitely that I, i did not love that whatsoever but that's just me being a super nerd um, I think mainly it was just like if you know anything about the the comic book zeitgeist, you know who the character of Joker is and that he's ultimately a bad guy and is the empathy you're trying to garner in me a bit <laughs> short circuited by Yeah, but he's still the Joker. Anyway. He's still Joker. Right, 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 right. Well, I think that's exactly what it's trying to subvert. Um it's it's having us question who who are the villains? You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we know who Joker is because he's a mass murderer and he's quite violent in, in all of these things. And the film, quite baldly, is trying to have us understand what what creates a monster, so to speak. Sure. Um, and I mean, that's that's like that's it on its face. I mean, that's just like to be exactly what they're trying to do, and 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 it's not the whole picture to me. Um, I mean, you know, for some people, uh, a terrorist is a freedom fighter and I don't think the film is like that smart. I don't think it's like going quite in that direction, but I, but it's, it's how 
it's about how we perceive what it what it means to be to be villainous i think um totally and i and there's a world in which even me bringing that up as a possible critique feels like i'm i am undercutting my own <laughs> sort of uh dis- <laughs> well and that's a troublesome of the movie it's like this this ouroboros of you know what does this all mean like i don't know <laughs> sure well i just give you props for in context using the word ouroboros i mean that's just really um you know, proud to know you, even if for just the 45 minutes we've been talking. Um, uh, that's great. Um, I'm a big word nerd. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, I want to spend a few more minutes here just kind of riffing a little bit. Um, it's funny. I often think, I don't know if you listen to On Being, the NPR podcast with Krista Tippett, but it's really, really great stuff. And, and she speaks to people of all different kind of backgrounds and traditions and that sort of thing and asks about spiritual journeys and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. you know something you at a certain portion at a certain point in the latter part of your article something i love is how you state that the film and the phrase you use is calls you to account for how you interacted with your mother in your younger years and one i just i even ignore kind of the, the the question marks that to me invokes of sort of you know, interior life and that kind of journey and that sort of thing. I I do just love the capacity of art to do that, right? Like to, to someone, I I can't tell you how many times I've encountered people um, who even people I love and I'm close to like, Oh, Joker, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, or pick anything, right? Pick, just pick a film that has some sort of divisive type of narrative attached to it in the real world. And it's like, well, I mean, did you see it? Well, no, no, no. Well, right. Okay. Right. Well, and right. I, and honestly, <laughs> I actually referenced this on our Joker recording. One of these folks that I'm sort of alluding to uh, in my outer concentric circles of kind of engagement posted some real kind of fundamentalist faith, basically hit piece around the time Joker came out. And, and mm-hmm. because one, I'm a glutton for punishment. And two, I just like to know the, 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 you know, angles on a conversation culturally. I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to go read this. It's probably not going to be with the best of intentions, but I'm going to go read it. And sure enough in the piece, it referenced, and I'd already seen the movie at that point. That's, that's how I operate is though. I will watch trailers. Um, I won't read the, the think pieces until after I've seen it. So I'd seen the film and you know, now I'm sort of in consume mode and reflect mode. So I go and read this article and the piece makes some reference to, again, I had just watched it, something that doesn't even happen in the movie. And I get to the end of it and the author makes a reference to, oh, and I'm probably not even going to see it or something real blithe and dismissive. And I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you actually published this sort of quote unquote think piece or, you know, piece of criticism that isn't even engaging with the film. Cause by your own admission in the piece, you didn't watch it. That's like really bad, bad form. It's pretty egregious. It is. It totally, totally. But it's that kind of thing. I feel like we often wrestle with where, uh, or at least I I feel like I I see a lot where it's like, okay, I hear that you feel like you need to be critical of a thing, but have you watched it? No. Uh, Okay. Well, maybe don't be critical, (laughs) you know, like, like maybe there's something attached to it. Like for me, I love, Adam Sandler's smarter pieces in his oeuvre. Um, I don't love his comedies. Now I am. And by that extension, 
uh, I'm prone to like uncut gems because I do like his, you know, kind of more serious takes in his, in his career. So I'm not going to be like this other guy over here and say, Oh, I'm not going to see uncut gems because Adam Sandler. Well, I, I respect people who talk well of that film, but just as a random example there, but the point being, when you talk about how the film calls you to account and, and the power that art can have to do that, I just wondered, you know, I, I've read the, the article and, and listeners will have the opportunity to read it too, but you reference in the opening paragraph or so about your mother's religious fundamentalism, um, which, you know, however, and you can, you can speak to that or not, but, you know, are you open to chat about, you know, how one that shaped your view of God or religion you know, kind of in your younger years and do things like a Joker film and, and, and maybe your own sort of dabblings in life in the way that the film you, you say calls you to account for that relationship with your mom. Does that, does that extend to any sort of understanding or appreciation for, um, you know, the world of religion, knowing kind of her brand was toxic, um, but not necessarily representative of the entirety, at least of a well-formed kind of mature spiritual expression. And I'm going to caveat there too. just know you're in good company as someone who uh, has been wounded and burned by that world. So it's not like I'm saying, isn't religion great? That's not at all where I'm going. Just <laughs> trying to in- inquire, you know, kind of how, yeah, yeah. how that has engaged you. Yeah, not, not a problem. Um, so I do want to go back to what you're saying, like the call to account phrase. Sure. Thank you to my editor. because <laughs> He was the one that actually gifted me with this idea I think he had pulled that from what I had written and sort of it was a great unifying force and I will keep going back to that sure. um, so thank you thank you to my editor at Washington Post I really appreciate that um, because he that was a that was a wonderful thing um, that he gifted yeah me. so I because I think like you're saying it, it, it encapsulates it so I can't take credit for it but he he it he pulled it from I think what I was writing about and he just like pun- it was his little way of putting a little bow on everything that's awesome which I appreciate that's awesome. so thank you to editors um so in terms of religion you know it's funny you mention it um I I it's hard to talk about my mother's sense of religion because I don't actually think of her as religious hmm. even though there's like a certain zealotry there and that's because I've never connected her um, her manifestations of of her illness with like what I c- consider like true piousness. Sure, sure. Um, and and it's and I use the word pious or zealotry almost as like a shorthand because it's really hard to describe if you it, as if you don't know the exact if you don't know what I'm referring to. It's just easy enough to like describe my mother, my mom's. Um, behaviors as like what we would normally think of as like fundamentalist or, sure, or zealot, sure. zealotous or, or zealotry. Zealot, sure. Zealotous, we'll go with it. Um, exactly. We'll, but, we'll, but we'll kick it up to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I've just never thought of her as, uh, as an actual like religious um, strongholds and, and stronghold in her heart. Um, so my, my family is Jewish. Okay. Um, and what I was steeped in growing up was a lot of like anti uh, anything that was not Jewish was a bad thing okay. essentially in my mom's view. So I kind of had to unpeel myself from that um, as I got older. Uh, you know, you I think one of the things you had asked earlier, or maybe we talked a little bit, is like what are some of the things that that scare you? Sure. And yeah. And I would say that. I read a lot of Harry Potter. I'm a big Harry Potter fan since I was a kid. 
and I always thought, well, my, my bogger would be um, being ill like my mom. Hmm. I mean, that is probably yeah. like my biggest, yeah. has always been my biggest fear. Um, you know, 10 I just need, I just need to children. pause you real quick, Robin, and <laughs> yeah. totally celebrate the moment that's happening here. Cause one listeners won't know. I actually forgot to ask you that question, but thank you for bringing it back up. But, um, uh, I mean, come on the intersection of Harry Potter and religion and fear and po- pop culture. This is, <laughs> this is a really beautiful moment that's happening right now. So please oh, carry you. on. Yes. <laughs> Well, you you created it. Um, <laughs> so so my my Boggart had always has always been even since I was little like I knew um, that that having an illness illness like my mother's would be um, a, a terrible nightmare. I mean, speaking of nightmares, and I don't mean to diminish anybody who has her diagnosis, sure, um, or anything like that. Everybody has a completely different experience with psychosis, and for some people. Um, it's manageable. And for my mom, it became less so as she grew older, but that, that happened for lots of different reasons in our life. Um, so, you know, my mother, um, her, her illness was very paranoid. Um, she hallucinated, she had like a, a lot of auditory hallucinations. Um, she, she often seemed like she was in another realm, so to speak. So, mm-hmm. And and 10% of children who have that particular diagnosis um, develop it at some point. So, you know, I've always had doctors say to me, like, don't, don't do, don't do weed, don't, don't take cannabis, monitor your drinking. Um, So I always have to, I, you know, I'm not like a prude or anything. Well, maybe I am in some ways, but I'm, I'm not really a prude when it comes to like other people's um, substance habits. Sure, sure. I always have to be like... I can't. No, I've never like. Right, and right, I always say, right. Oh, oh, I'm a nerd or whatever. Because it's really hard to say. Oh well, actually, like I might be opening up my brain. <laughs> right, to right. You're like, how how much time do you have? Chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the reason I, I mention this, um, thinking, you know, we think about fear, we think of this, and and people joke, oh, I'm so afraid of turning to my mother. But it's not that I'm afraid of being my mother. My mother was actually a really wonderful person, mm-hmm. and a really sweet person. And I think in the piece I grapple with, um, knowing this other side of her that to me was her when I was growing up, but, and she scared me growing up. I mean, I remember calling her the Trunchbull because she reminded me so much of the Trunchbull from, from Matilda. Um, (laughs) which is again, one of these unkind things that I would do that, that felt protective to me when I was that age, because I could, connect with it um and so of course i look back sometimes to think oh that's so unfair my mother had such a hard life she was ill you know things that are out right. of control so so the um the religion thing you know the fear thing for me growing up i was afraid of jesus like i had wow. no idea who this person was right. i would i used to get in trouble for like watching um anything christmas related like it was a big problem in my household wow um, because this is how my mother's illness manifested. Right. She wasn't, it's hard to say like, oh, like, she, I don't mean to diminish, like, I, again, was this her true belief or was this right, her right. illness manifesting? So I don't want to like diminish either one. Sure. <laughs> um, but I never really saw her as like somebody who was super religious. I mean, we didn't, we didn't go to synagogue or anything. Maybe I went to Hebrew school, but, um, that didn't really continue. So it, I, I never really felt like I was in a particularly religious household. Right. Even though we were very steeped in, in being Jewish um, and having those traditions, and it's important to me to be Jewish, 
uh, even though I'm not, you know, I would say I'm a fairly secular person um, mm-hmm. because Jewishness sort of encompasses all sorts of different things. Right. Um, and it's something that you're born into and you can convert into. And, and, you know, there was like this debate recently about Bernie Sanders and like he was considered unaffiliated religiously, but actually um, by this, by the tenets of Judaism, he will always be a Jew, whether he believes in God or not, huh. does not uh, unaffiliate you with right, Judaism. Right. There are lots of Jews like avowed Jews who are not, um, who are agnostic or atheists. So, so it, yeah, it's all kind of jumbled in my head a little sure, bit. Sure. And I think for, for Judaism specifically, um, it's something I vacillated with, uh, because one of the big, one of the big ways that my mother's illness manifested was that she used to make me promise when I was little that I would marry a Jewish man, huh. like f- from the earliest age of my life. Right. Which again is one of those like funny stories I tell people. Um, and so I would get in trouble if there was any inkling that I was like not going to do this. Sure. Of course, yeah, it, it's kind of messy. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, again, I'm not super religious, but you know, my parents passed away when I was in co- college. Um, and that is when I actually started to care more about religion mm-hmm. because it, it was taken away from me. This, this sense of family and the sense of community, like a lot of people in my family passed away in a very short period of time, like my, my extended family. So um, that was kind of ripped from me. And so I kind of it, like sunk into the Jewish world after college. And I actually learned so much more about my religion than I ever That's did awesome. when I was a That's kid cool. um, because I was trying to connect to the sense of community, family, um, life yeah your 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 people so yeah, to speak yeah. and so it, it i've kind of jumped back and forth on that question but i've never really connected it to my own to my mother's feelings just sure. because and she was outside of the the realm of of faith in some ways yeah. even though she was a believer of course but i i can't take her um i can't take her her personal feelings as like representative being the, yeah the representative yeah she's i wouldn't call her like a super religious person this is not how i this is not how most jewish people are right for sure um well, well and i think it does yeah. i mean to your credit i think it takes a lot of you know i mean maturity and and dare i say wisdom to be able to kind of parse that that way and and you know because i think it would also be real easy to have the flip side have happened, which is to totally entwine those things. Um, yeah, probably, (laughs) you know, know, although it is interesting, you know, you, you, your Boggart being suffering similar illness patterns at the same time, I'm going to juxtapose that with your fascination with body horror, which is all about losing control of oneself. Right. So oh, yeah. there, there you go. I mean, welcome to the fear of God, Robin. You just got psychoanalyzed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I just fell into like a deep pit or something. <laughs> I will, I will receive that as a compliment. Um, no, in a good, good, way, good, 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 good. Um, sludge pit. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Horror. Well, and and kind of to to put a little button, perhaps on maybe our time together, but also just the, the, this part of the conversation, you brushed up against this in the last few minutes. And, and in summary, uh, a summary statement, I think is your own words in the article. And I love, um, and towards the very end, 
you just say, it's clear to me now that my unfair expectations suffocated her as much as I felt suffocated by her symptoms. And, you know, the specificity of your mother's illness, notwithstanding, all of us can can benefit from just sort of as we... What, I feel like at times on the fear of God, we have many uh, mantras. It's like the holy and the horrific, dissect my schedules to find what saves us. But another one of them is we explore, we don't explain. You know, it's not about didactic, mm-hmm. dogmatic, sort of rigid strictures. It's about just exploring these things and, and sort of um, totally unrelated to this conversation. But I was talking to a buddy just two days ago. There's a, a gentleman from the uh, Christian publishing world who passed away a couple of years ago named Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson has a lot of just wisdom to offer. And, but one of, I think it's the title of one of his books is called we make the road by walking. And I just love that so much because, and, and in fear of God parlance, it's the same idea. We, we don't, we're not here to just wag a finger or say, this is meant to be your takeaway and, and that sort of thing. It's just, we just probe the boundaries and get inspired and, and discover what we discover and or in his yeah. words we make the road by walking so um one thank you so much this has been a real delight and you know with sincerity i say we would love to have you back sometimes we have we thank we you. do we do have a literary correspondent you could be our film and critic correspondent or something like that um uh and we'll let we'll let you pick the film um Ooh. <laughs> Thank you for being here, willing to put yourself out there in your writing uh, and in agreeing to be on the show. Um, tell listeners uh, where um, they can find your work, uh, whether it's uh, you know to the far reach of the internet or any sort of centralized location. Where where can we find the work of Robin Barr? Sure, um, I have a website. It's called yentavision.com. That's just where I kind of keep everything that doesn't belong anywhere else. Um, you know, my, my Oscar prognostication or whatever. Um, but I, I write for a few, I've written for a few different publications. Um, you probably find most of my pieces at the Hollywood reporter. I'm a freelance freelancer with them. Um, but you can also find me at, uh, Robin Barr on Twitter. Um, so it's like at R O B Y N B A H R. Awesome. And you know, on Yenta vision, I did stumble upon, I don't know if it was the recipe or just an outline for the raspberry uh, cobbler and that looked amazing oh that yeah looked, that looked amazing i'm just gonna be honest uh that looked amazing again just stuff that doesn't fit anywhere else like my recipes or like here's a listicle about i don't know like my top 10 favorite films of the year i don't know hey we are stuff. we are we are not one thing and so i applaud you for right. putting them all in the bucket well uh robin once more thank you listeners consider this a coda on our best of 2019 horror series um, go look up Robin's stuff, send her a message, let her know you appreciate her being on. And, um, and also consider this episode, a preface to our umbrella series for the year, uh, titled 2020, 2020, which starts next week with 2000's shadow of the vampire starring Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich, a wonderful film. Have you seen that Robin? I haven't. You, I, I actually you, didn't realize it came out in 2000. Yeah, it's it's good wow. stuff. It's, it's not that long ago. <laughs> right. It's excellent. You'd, you'd really enjoy it. Um, once more, thank you, Robin. Listeners, 
uh, as we have begun saying in 2020 and as our sign off here, fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, guys. Thank you.